I'm Colby Spencer, and this is Vantropolis. This is Vantropolis, a podcast about the happenings, the goings-on, and the general day-to-day life and antics of the underslept masses working in Vancouver's film industry. I'm no expert. I'm just nosy. And if you are too, let's do this. If you're a production assistant who's spent any time this winter standing in an empty gravel parking lot or on a Vancouver sidewalk in the pouring rain, cold and alone, wondering what it's all for, this is the episode for you. Gabriel Correa started exactly where you are. And since then, he's literally climbed the ranks all the way to the top, where you can currently find him directing episodes for the CW hit television series Riverdale. I love Gabe's journey. It's a real coming-of-age story that reads as good as any script. From leaving his home in Sao Paulo, Brazil as a young man to his arrival on the West Coast, Gabe attended Vancouver Film School and Bus Tables before finally breaking into film, where he hustled hard as a PA and then landed at Supernatural, another CW television show that would see him build out much of his film career. This episode is a very informative breakdown of the director's world, starting from the trainee assistant director position, or TAD, right up to the first AD and then director. Gabe shares a nice hybrid of life skills mixed with a theoretical understanding and love of film. And this level of career success truly couldn't happen to a more kind and deserving human being. This is a good one. Enjoy. Gabe, hello. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Um, I joked earlier with Tony that it's American Thanksgiving, and so the only way to get anybody of your caliber in here to make sure there's a American holiday so the productions are all halted. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It, today, it's been a very busy day. This is the uh, dentist, uh, lawyer, bank, uh, you know. That's what happens bank, in yeah. film, right? You have it's Your true. life goes on pause until you get some days off. Very true. And then it's not relaxing. It's like doing errands. I'm relaxed by it, though, because if I get stuff done, it's not on my mind. Believe That's it or true. not, at the end of the day, I'll be relaxed at the end of the day. This is relaxing. This is pretty relaxing. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty calming in here. Well, thanks for being here. I'm Thank really excited to me. get into everything, kind of from your journey through the ranks. You really climbed the ranks. Yep. From, you know, right at the bottom. And, you know, unfair to PAs, but it is the bottom PAs. Come on. It is the bottom. You know. So welcome. So you. you, I would love to talk about kind of how you grew up. I mean, yep. you're from Brazil, which is like such a unique story that I want to hear. Yep. Uh, I grew up and I was born and raised, grew up in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which is the largest city in Brazil. About 20 million people there. So very vibrant, very busy, not particularly pretty. Uh, It's very vertical, very um, great concrete. You know, it's a true concrete jungle. Uh, People describe... um, as if New York threw up in LA. So it, it's, it's, yeah, which is not a pretty sight. So it, it's vertical. Poor Sao Paulo. Yeah, it's vertical like New York, and it goes on forever with the freeways like Los Angeles. Um, so not pretty, but very vibrant. Uh, uh, do you have me, siblings? I do have one half-brother. Okay. Same father, uh, different mothers. And your parents were artists, you said. So how did that kind of help you? That's a nice change. Most people's parents don't want them to go into that stuff. So I'm curious how yours were. My father was a photographer and my mom uh, is an architect. And I think they did a favor to me because before them, my family was all like engineer, 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 engineer. 
accountant engineer. They broke the mold. They did. And that's their generation. You know, they really were the generation that broke the mold. So when I raise my hand and say, listen, I think I want to do film in Brazil. I mean, I guess anywhere you tell your parents that you want to go uh, into film, they may be a little reluctant. I feel like it's the same reaction worldwide. Probably. Kind of like medicine is the same reaction the other way. Probably. Right? Any probably. country you say, I want to be a doctor, no one's going to try to dissuade God, you. God, no. But at least here, I feel that your parents can put the – like can grasp that there is a, an industry that, oh, sure, you can make a living whether I agree with it or not or I think it's a noble career or not. But, yeah, you're not going to starve. And Brazil is a real concern. Like, you're right. gonna, like and, and what are you going to do for a living? I mean, I'm going to work in film. Yeah, but w- what's going to be your work? Right. Because there is very little work. <clears throat> but they were very supportive nonetheless. They never questioned. Uh, they just, that's what you want to do. Just make sure you do it well, you know, go, you know, full force into it. And I did. I did two years of university in Brazil before I moved here. In film? In film. Yeah. In film. And it what was, was that like? Was it was it life skills? It was very different in here because uh, in Brazil, uh, it's very academic. It's very, you know, it's a lot of theories, a lot of smoking cigarettes and talking about French New Wave and, you know. And my, so what, my thoughts on that, just to interrupt you, is like, is that good? Looking back now. I think it's amazing. Because I don't know if we get a lot of that. You that, have none of it here. And that's why a lot of this European or even South American influence is kind of adding a little bit of that yeah. versus just explosions and superstars and that kind of thing, right? I like to think so. I mean, I can't speak for, say, the longer programs like UBC or, or even Capilano. I, I don't know what they're like. I don't want to be unfair to, to yeah. those programs. But I went to VFS and, and definitely there's no, there's very little talk of, of that. It's very much hands-on, which, listen, I appreciate. Yeah, not, work look, skills. Work skills, which is fine. and I And it has its value and it's all good. But reflecting now mm-hmm. where I am looking back, man, I feel lucky that I was for well, it's two a lovely, years. It's a lovely additional yeah. set of insight to film and cinema, right? Yeah. For two years, you just watch movies and you talk a lot about them and you write papers about them and what makes this unique and that. And, you know, you just go wa- and you watch a lot of movies. You well, not everybody's in film for that, right? Like you and no. I know that. It's, it's bustling here. But not everybody starts with a love of film to go into the industry in Vancouver. And I think if you have that, you either naturally seek it out mm-hmm. or you, you know, subset with another education that's more theoretical, right? I think it's very true. I think in my background... People that did go to film school, they loved movies. That's the draw. I like movies. I like this movie. I want to make this thing. Here, I think there's a blend of people that, listen, this is a vibrant, cool career. I can do other things and I can go and travel and I, you know, I can make my own schedule to a degree. I work hard, but then I take months off right. and, it's, and it's, it's good money because you put in a lot of hours. But I felt that I feel like, the difference is in Brazil, you go to film school because you watched and fell in love with Citizen Kane. Here is when you go to film school is maybe when you watch Citizen Kane for the first time. Yeah, good point. Very good analogy. So that's how I sort of felt. And I felt very different than most of the students in film school because of that. Not not better or worse, just different. Yeah. Um, and now looking back, I'm glad that I, I had both. Yeah. Experiences. So you did the two years in Brazil. How did you feel coming out of that? Did you feel ready to work? Were you still like, where did you go from there? No, I didn't feel ready to work at all. Not in any, 
You were ready to talk at parties with cigarettes. Re- ready, <laughs> ready to work. Like if you, if you give me a job, the equivalency of a PA job in right. Arizona, I'll be ready to work anytime. But as far as am I ready to be a filmmaker in right. the true sense of the word, I would say I wasn't ready for it. And was at that all. your goal, or did you not always. know? It was no, always I your always, goal. Always my goal to okay. to to be a director, to to be a filmmaker in the sense. You know, maybe I thought maybe my father's a photographer, maybe I can be a director of photography. But at any rate, always in that capacity of being a true filmmaker. So you knew early on. I, I knew it. So it did you think on. about staying in Brazil? Like, what was your mindset after you finished that schooling? What did you? How did you kind of decide to get here? To I, Vancouver. I wanted to stay in Brazil. I was dating uh, my wife, my future wife at the time, and you know, I was in my late. I was like nineteen. Yeah, 19, 18, Just a 19. baby, Gabe. Total baby. So, you know, I don't want to leave Brazil. Like, I'm in university. This is cool. And I have my girl. And we we had been dating for, I think, nearly three years then. At that age, a significant relationship. So I didn't want to come. Some of my family was here. My parents uh, uh, were divorced. And yeah. my mom's family was here. And they wanted me to come uh, to Ah, Canada. so they were in Vancouver. They were. I didn't and know that part. They they were, and they're like, you should come, you should come. I'm like, ah, but girlfriend, friends, film school. Yeah, you're in your prime of your life in 19, right? Yeah, cigarettes and French movies. <laughs> I don't want to leave. And it's Do warm Do you know how much knowledge I can share <laughs> yeah, and at these parties? And it's warm here. It is um, warm. Good but point. The, they lured me with film. That was the catch. It's like, did you know that Vancouver is the third largest uh, film center in North America? And they have this great school, and you should, you should look into it. So they sent me a... The uh, brochure for a VFS. Because what year was this? There was this no was, website. <laughs> there, this was nineteen ninety. Oh, it's back. Okay, or 2000, 1990, 2000, th- thereabouts. Yeah, give or take my memory. You know, I'm, I'm aging, <laughs> but the, thereabouts. So early on. Early on, and because we're almost in twenty twenty. That's twenty years I know, ago. It's just so crazy. And I thought, listen, if anything in Brazil, I don't know if it's changed now. Twenty, but twenty years ago. If you had gone abroad and done something like VFS and you come back, I think they would carry a lot of weight. Right. Oh, my God. He studied film. In, in the, North America. Oh, my. The Hollywood system. He must be good. <laughs> uh, so I thought, hey, listen, the worst thing that could happen is I'll go there. I'll, I'll do VFS. I'll come back. I actually, I finished two years out of a four-year program in Brazil. So I, um, I don't know what the equivalent term would be here, but it, you l- locked it's what the the translation would be. Yeah. Like, the little translation would be like, you lock your studies. You right. You put it on a hold. Okay, yeah. You like you put know. it on ice. Put it on ice. So I put it on ice and I went to, uh, I came here, did VFS and I said, worst case scenario, I'll come back and I can finish the other two years or go straight to work if VFS is really going to elevate me right. to like, this guy's hot shit. You know, yeah. he just came from from North North America. Isn't it funny you have to leave and come back? I mean, it doesn't even yeah. matter what you do over here. You just... I found with overseas work, you say you went somewhere else. You could have been like, you know, eating eating cookies and coffee at front it's desk. True. People are like, wow, you worked in London. I know. And maybe times have changed because of, you know, social media and everybody's exposed to to every country now. So I don't know if it carries the same yeah, sort of Yeah, that's a good mystique. point. You expect global now, right? Yeah, but at the time, at the time I think was a, it was a bigger deal for sure. Well, that's when I moved to London was... Nah, 2000 by myself. So same uh, kind of, we were just deal. passing each other in the airport. It's a big deal, right? <laughs> it is a big, big deal. deal. I was terrified. Uh, so there was, the, there was the hook. The hook was come, you know, uh, um, take this program and see what happens. And I did. I did the year at VFS. Did you come alone? I came alone at first. I did have some family here, but I yeah. came alone. 
And then a few months later, a friend of mine from the same film program joined me here and he went to VFS, but he went to the animation program. He's awesome. A, he's a brilliant artist. Yeah, VFS has a lot of different ways you can, and avenues you can explore film, right? And For sure. And this guy is brilliant. And he, and he went back to Brazil and, and he has a wonderful career. He's a very talented, uh, classic a- animator. Oh, or or if, I don't even know if that's the term, but, you know, an art animation artist. Yeah. Um, so I did, uh, so I had a friend here and we went to different campuses, but, you know, living together downtown. And What did you think of it here? I'm so curious. I loved it. You know, it, it, like I, I would love your first impression. You get off at YVR. Well, my very first impression was terrible because okay. um, my grandparents lived in Richmond and that's what I was staying. Right. And it, this was 2001, summer of 2001, and TransLink was on strike. Oh, how, how can, timely. How timely. We just yeah. averted one last night. Yeah, so th- so I got here, they were on strike. And and no SkyTrain, no Canaline for years nothing, to come, right? Nothing. And my grandparents didn't have a car, and I hated Richmond with a passion. It was just small and the blocks were so vast. Very you, suburban and spread very out. Very suburban. Like you'd go for a walk. It takes you half an hour to walk But Gabe, that's the North American dream. I know. I know. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. It, you know. You're like, where's the concrete? I'm homesick. Yeah. So I felt, I felt that there was nothing going on. I was All I wanted to do is to come downtown every day. And I couldn't because there was no means for me to get here. And I just felt isolated. And then... Soon enough, start raining, and it was dark and rainy and cold, and no friends and no social life, and stuck in Richmond. So, but it, it didn't make me give up. I I knew like film school was going to be a blast. It didn't discourage me. But it, but the first few months, but were some people rough. would go home, right? Not everybody think, would stay. True, but I think having family here that helps. Yeah, helps. You know, it, it helped me. And. But once the, once the gates were open and buses were running, I was downtown here all the time. I came to the library. Oh, my God, I can rent these DVDs for free up here. Paolo Pasolini, I can watch this or Criterion. And Isn't that amazing about libraries? Because I grew up amazing. barely using them. And amazing. I feel like such a snob. And then we're here now at the Vancouver Public Library. I do all my podcasts here. And I was so humbled of like, wow, there's all of this stuff mm-hmm. that I thought I was too good for. And here I am using it now. It's and brilliant. so appreciative, right? For sure. And, you know, I, I don't think you have the same resources in Brazil. And I was really impressed with it. I came here all the time and to read, to, to borrow stuff. <clears throat> Pardon me. And how was your English? It was okay. You know, it's better now, obviously. But it was okay. I mean, I love talking, so that helped. You know, I, I, I couldn't care less if I, you know, and I st- I'll still make mistakes yeah. to this day in pronunciation things and whatnot. Uh, yeah, but you know what? You have two languages. Just always remember that. When people make fun of me, it's like, I want to see you try some Portuguese. I am so appreciative of any English because that's all I know. So the English was okay. It was okay. It, it didn't it didn't deter me from, from, from learning anything, uh, you know, that other kids will pick up in school. Well, in VFS, was it fairly global? Like when very, you, your experience, it was quite a... Yeah, we had kids from Japan, Mexico, Brazil, a lot of kids from America. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was very, very, very global, I think. So you really started getting a sense then, probably through word of mouth with your peers as well, of like what was going on here. For sure. Right? And I think Vancouver is on the rise, you know? Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And people say, oh, this this town, like it's, you know, this is pre-Olympics. This is a pre, pre a lot of the 
things, the you big know, boom. the big boom in real estate and yep. in arts and everything, right? Yeah. Um, but people, they could sense that, that something was brewing here. Yeah. And, and I love that. And to me, the thing that made me never want to go back, and I can say confidently that uh, unless it's retirement or something really tragic happened, mm-hmm. I have no desire to go back to Brazil to live. I love the country to visit, but not to Should live. we not air this in Brazil? Your family you doesn't want to hear it? No, I lo- listen, <laughs> I, love, I love Brazil. It's a beautiful country, but I'll, I'll tell you why. It's nothing, it's nothing against Brazil per se, but in Brazil, at least when I was growing up, the common thing is that you live with your parents forever. And you probably only move out if you get married or or who knows. But it's very, very hard to get started. Mm-hmm. Real estate's very expensive. Even even if you rent a place, it's not like here where you rent a place and you have your fridge, your stuff, your stove, your things set up. Like you're you're renting a place and there's literally nothing. Not right. a light fixture, not not a washing machine. There's no communal laundry. So for you to just be renting a place and bringing all that in, it's a major investment. It's in the you know tens of thousands of dollars yeah. just just to rent a spot. So people depend on their parents for a long time, for a long time. And once I was here, and before film school started, I worked for six months in a restaurant in Richmond as a busboy in in an Italian restaurant. And it was a great experience. I loved it. I was making my own money and training my English and and all that. Doing all the things you needed to do, right? Just Finding your wings. Finding my wings. Your Canadian wings. And then when that's true, my Canadian wings. And then I decided that I didn't want to live with my grandparents anymore, that I wanted to be downtown and by myself, uh, uh, sharing a place with this friend of mine who was doing film school. And I did the math and I said, well, if I can make X a month, at the time I think it was like 500 bucks or something, I could live on my own. And that's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I knew that once school started, it was going to be a full-time endeavor. So I couldn't really work unless it was on the weekends. So what I did, I, I worked for six months at this restaurant and I just saved money. Once school started in January, Monday to Friday, I was going to school and living downtown in a one-bedroom apartment. One of, um, one of us lived in the living room, one in the, in the bedroom. As you do. We had nothing. We literally had two mattresses, one in each room. And what do you had, need? You're 20. I, and I loved it. Right? Every second of it. And, maybe that's I, why, and, and to that point, that's why you do the hungry stuff when you're young. For sure. Because now you're like, I'm not living in a goddamn living room. I've done that. <laughs> I'm not busing for six months and saving this shit. I want to go out and eat nice. No Right? Way. You lose your capacity for that real hungry gra- uh, sure. like that climb, right? And you have a taste of the bourgeois lifestyle. And That's I'm not, right. I'm not, I'm the not good wine. I'm, yeah. I'm a big wine guy and I don't want to <laughs> give that up. No. But at the time, everything was just, it was just yours and it made you feel alive. And uh, we had a few plates and some cutlery that was given to us. I, I, we ate on the floor, but it just had a real feel of like, you know, young adulthood and just yeah. doing stuff. And and I walked to school. It was a half hour, 35 minute walk because it was in the West End in the rain, but it felt good, you know, because I couldn't afford the bus. I, that was part of the math, right? If I don't have to take the bus, I, gotta walk. I, can, I can afford this rent. And so I did the school and Saturday and Sunday, I would go back and work on the same restaurant in Stevenson. So oh it was goodness. a long haul. I used to take the, uh, it was the 99, the, the defunct 99 uh, B-line. So I just want everybody to listen to that. This is like not the story you think you're going to hear going to VFS, walking out and like straight onto a set. 
No, right? it's not. Gabe is not, like not busing on the weekends to you know another city. Yeah, right. Like for sure. And busing there and and working in 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 a restaurant, which is hard. Restaurant restaurants yes, good. Yes, I did it. I still have stress it, from it. It prepares PTSD. you for a film set, you know, because it, it's intense. Good it's, point, actually. A lot going intense. on. It's very intense. Organized you, chaos and dealing with public, which you do as a PA. You know, now I don't deal with public; I deal with crew. But as a PA, you're you're also dealing with public. They have no interest in being disrupted no. when you're shooting. So I think it was good. It, yeah, you know, there was something about it that it had that same pace, absolutely and vibe and intensity. It got you ready for what was to come. And and at the time, it's what I needed to do. And at the time, the decision I made, and it felt right for me. It wasn't even really that conscious. My heart just told me that it was important to be independent. And it felt right and it felt good. And that's what I wanted. And I had friends from film school that on the weekends, they'll be doing film projects, which I was very jealous. Yeah. I was really pissed because I wish, I was like, I would. And I'm, you know, it was my own decision. So I have nobody to blame. I was like, fuck, I, yeah. I should be doing this. These guys are going to get there first because, but I said, but you know what? Just keep your head down and work. It's what you need to do. This feels right. Well, and there's no right one path, right? And as we will get to your career, I don't think you have any worries about any of that now. But yeah, there's no right one path. There's not one right path, right? Mm-hmm. People going to school, some are studying like maniacs, some are building a reel, some have to work or take care of siblings or whatever, right? Um, you know, it, that's the biggest lesson is you just can't look at anybody else's journey. You can't. And 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 we tend to compare ourselves to others all the time. I know of course, I, do. I do. I'm too. my hard, uh, harshest critic. And, yep. and, and you're always like, oh, Fuck! This person's yeah. doing this. I should have been here. And you yeah. and you and you learn with experience and and age that you can't do you can't do that because you're absolutely right. There's no one way. You just gotta do what feels right. Trust your gut. Yeah. So you came out of school. You're you're done with EFS. What what did you want to do then? Like what you're walking out with your you know diploma, your certificate. I was quite lost to to a degree. Not lost. I knew I wanted film. I knew the ultimate goal. That hadn't changed. But I was quite lost in the sense of like, oh, like what's next? Like what's that first step? I realized very quickly, even before film school was over, that this notion, which all of us at one point have, that yeah. you're going to come out of film school and you're going to sit in a chair with your name on. <laughs> it d- doesn't Well, you can happen. do that if you make it yourself. Right? You can't, I mean, like, no, like it's not impossible, but yeah. I'm just. It's but then just, you need money, and it's not busing uh, uh, money. Uh, and, and, You're like, how much are lights? <laughs> well, not only that. At that time, don't forget that at the time we're dealing with film, which True. made it more expensive to because right now I can Absolutely. make a movie on my iPhone, or you can buy a, a reasonably uh, yeah. a, um, inexpensive camera. More and of a barrier to entry now, yeah. Or then, then, like you know, if you want to do even like a five minute short. You needed to rent a film camera. Yeah, you need to point. deal with film and developing and all those things. Those costs have gone down. Yeah. So it was really inaccessible. Uh, it was just different. Yeah. So I was like, okay, what now? What now? Obviously, nobody's going to say, hey, come direct this beautiful script. Right. It's just not going to happen. So I looked at two things. I looked into either joining the camera union and becoming a camera trainee in the hopes that one day I'll be a, a director of photography. Mm-hmm. Which is 669, right? The six, union, yeah, it's a 669. For those of you listening along. And they and they offer a trainee program. It's a very good program. So they, they it's like a workshop. I don't know how many weeks, but maybe six weeks or so. And they teach you how to become a camera assistant. Is it paid? Be, I don't think it's paid. Just but they curious. do. But after, I, don't, I could be wrong. I don't think it's paid. But once you complete the training... They will place you on right, set, right? Which, which is, is invaluable. A good thing. Yeah, it's a very good thing. Or I thought I would join the Directors Guild of Canada, DGC, 
And then I'll find my way through the assistant director department. And and tricky because assistant director doesn't necessarily lead to to directing, but you certainly are working in the director's team. Right. Uh, so I, I chose that path. And and where'd you start in the DGC, Gabe? <laughs> so so DGC at the time, so I took like you had to take two or three courses to get a, a log book. And so when you go on set, your supervisor can sign your book in those days. You're building your days, building right? Building your days so you can get a full membership. Which I also don't think everybody understands, right? You don't just start working and you keep coming back every day. If they don't need you on Wednesday, you don't get that day. It's very actually, it's a very good point, right? Because you're absolutely right. The PA position seldom is a full time. You're coming every day. I remember back then, and things might have changed, but I don't think they changed that much. Usually, you have three or four PAs or key PAs they call. So you you're hired for the run of the show. Mm-hmm. But every other PA, you're a day call. They call you when they need you, and they don't call you. when. So you kind of don't know when you're working next. Sometimes yeah. you know a couple of days in advance. But it's very much be on alert, be juggling to two or three shows. Hopefully, you have a network of like two or three teams. They'll yeah. be calling you constantly, and you just hustle, hustle, hustle. hustle you got to hustle. Because you just, because it could dry up like that. Well, right? and I think a lot of people have a misconception that they're like, I'm not working enough. I'm going to give up. You know, they've had a few days here and there, and it's like, what do you expect is going to happen? It's there's thousands of PAs that want to do this, and and now it's busy. But when I when I this is a true story, when I started, so I took the courses to become a PA, and I thought I need to be able to get anywhere without needing any lifts or any public transportation. Right. So I need a car, and and I need to be people need to reach me. So I, I a cell phone, which you know back then to me at least was a, mm-hmm. a bigger deal than it is now. It's just Financially, you yeah. Know? But I got like a prepaid phone, and when I was taking, you have to take a traffic control course, believe it or not, to become a PA. Like a like you know one of those. I took it out of curiosity years ago at Cap College, and I was like, "This isn't for me." Cap College. <laughs> I took one in Surrey with the real flaggers. It's like a three day yeah. course. It's hardcore. If you weren't smoking, you would be after that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and then you know you flagging age twenty years. You flagging semi trucks. Yeah. Anyway, so I was there. Serious and, business. And I saw this car parked on the side of the road. It was an, a Nissan Micra, tiny little car, old. And I was staring at it, and I, I got close to the window, and I looked inside, and I'm like, man, this would be the perfect car for me because it, it's small. It looks like it would be cheap. That's that's the sort of thing I need. Mm-hmm. And then on cue, this guy opens the door to his house, and he's like, do you want to buy that? What? And, but I thought I thought he meant, and he's like, Quit looking at my car. Oh, like get lost. You, know, you get lost. And I'm like, uh, uh, well, and he's like, no, I'm, I'm serious. Like, this is my my daughter's car. Do you want to buy it? And I'm like, well, I, I am looking for a car. And he said, 300 bucks. I'm like, what? He's like, 300 bucks. Uh, I said, I'll come, I'm come by tomorrow because I was, I was still in the middle of the course. Yeah. I had the vest on. So I went the next day, bought it for 300 bucks cash. It had 360,000 kilometers. Oh, that's asking for it. But on a <laughs> Nissan, you know, maybe not. So that, was, so that was my setup, right? That was my setup. And then— it, But isn't it amazing how the universe just unfolds? I was. I thought that was meant to be. It's that like car you, I know mine. it's a bit West Coast, snippy dippy. No, you no, know? I like that. But you manifest stuff, and then there's a car. I'm a converted West Coaster. Right? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gotten a bit. Hippie. Yeah, I've got, got a bit namaste ish. I've gone to Salt Spring uh, plenty okay. of times to be converted. Oh, you're drum, one of us. Drum, drum circle and, oh, uh, and whatnot. Um, so it was meant to be, and I, now, I say, now I have my setup, and the DGC puts a list every Friday. They update a list with all the shows that are in town. 
at the time, either I didn't know I had a computer. I don't think they had this, the website set up yet in a way that you could see the list online. I don't think so. I could be wrong, but I don't think you could. There was a store in Gastown called Biz Books. Do you remember that? Yes. The great books were on film one and they actually had a printout of the list. So you could go there every Friday, get a physical printout of the of the production. See, kids, it's not like it is now. I know we sound old, but <laughs> now you go online, you hit a couple buttons, you got a whole production list on your computer or your iPhone. And the funny thing is that I'm not even, I'm 38. I don't yeah. think I'm even that old. But, but that's how quickly it changed. It changed so fast. But the internet was a game changer. And I know a it was, quote, around, mm-hmm. but not the way it is now. No, it was around, but it wasn't used the way that it is now. And no. emails were around, but they weren't used. Like productions weren't communicating with potential PAs on, like on email basis or resumes. What were like, they doing? Phoning you? A fax. Oh, fax, yeah. So, so what I the did beloved is fax machine. I did a little very rudimentary cover letter. Just bullet point, just said, it, it looked a lot like my- I have a Nissan Micra. <laughs> I have a Nissan. It looked a lot like my first card where I gave up on the restaurants. That's how I got the job. <laughs> I had this little card. My my uh, Canadian aunt did, it, auntie, auntie did it for me. It was beautiful. So she did. sweet. It had my name. It had her phone number. And it said, quick learner, very enthusiastic, hard work. I had like three things. And I do went- you, Do you still have one? I feel like you need to find I that. I need to find it. And I went door-to-door in Susan. That's how I got the the, the job at the restaurant. So I, I did the— Who P- would turn down that card? I know. I had the— There's P- no way. I'd be like, get in here. Yeah. <laughs> so I had the I had the film version of that, which was a cover letter said, own, own, bullet number, own a car. Own a car. Own a car. Uh, quick learner, hard worker, then start tomorrow, all those things, right? And you send, and I hit— Literally every single production on the list every Friday, and I'll fax him. And it took me months to get the first response, which now it's so busy now. People, I just want people to really listen to this yeah. part of it because there's going to be a plot twist, you know, it, shortly. It, yeah, it, people lose perspective sometimes. It can get slow. So it's very slow. So most people look the other way. They look at the the now, and then they go back a little bit, but they don't go all the way to the beginning. Yeah, to see where you started and. As my husband said, a lot of people take that stuff off their IMDb. So you actually don't know where they started you know, because they get rid of it. You know, it's funny. You, right? Funny you said that. I'll just do a little sidebar yeah. very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm proud of my IMDb's, but people can type my name and see what I've done. I think it's a very cool thing. And and I did this thing where Riverdale, as this as the episodes have been airing in episode four, they update the IMDb, and I kept checking because I I knew that once episode nine of season four was on IMDb, mm-hmm. it would put me as the director that had directed the most amount of episodes of Riverdale. Right, you knew the milestone. Milestone meaning now, if you type Riverdale on your search, and it has the page of the show, not my page, the page of the show, and she, and, and he would say writer, creator, cast, what it says, directors, my name comes up first because I have the wow. most Wow. So that was something that I was very, very proud of, you know. Absolutely. Um, it just reminded me. It was a physical reminder of years of hard work. And Absolutely. I, and I'm like, that's so fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, so then, so as I'm looking at my MDB and you type my name, you would say, uh, Gabriel Correa would say producer, director, miscellaneous, uh, assistant director. You have all my credits. And I realized that the description, your title, it's based on the amount of credits you have. So if you have, oh, if you have mostly okay. directing creditors, I didn't know that. Directors will come up first. Gotcha. So on mine, I think maybe assistant director is still what comes up first, which is great. But I think even before producer or director, 
it comes up miscellaneous crew. I think I think that's what it says. Yeah. And I was like, why is that? And I clicked, and it's all my PA credits. Oh, I can find it. And 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 at one point, I was about to delete them. Yeah, don't. You know, because it's the, oh, I want people to come. And my name is, and I said, like, you know what? Exactly what I just said. Yeah. And like- I said, you know what? That's my history. I want people to look it up and see. Gabe Korea wasn't a guy that got this thing. No, like, because I think it's cool. It it it, it means that. For all of us here in our little community, yeah, you could go places. You could start as a PA. There's nothing wrong with it. Like you say, there's many paths, and this is mine. And I decided not to take it down because it's Good. part of who I am. You Absolutely. know, those, those PA dates. Well, and uh, everybody did that kind of stuff. For it's sure. not like no one's. So they're there. They're yeah. There. Okay. I got to go to Miscellaneous Crew. Okay. Um, but then close sidebar. So your PA sidebar. stuff, yes. Close, close, close sidebar. sidebar. <laughs> so my PA stuff. So I'm be hitting that, that list every Friday. Uh, no calls, no calls. And then suddenly I get, I get a phone call. And they say, uh, we're a show called Desolation Sound, independent Canadian film. We're shooting uh, in Seashelt uh, in the Sunshine Coast. And we need a PA. It's, I think, two or three week shoot. Wow. We can pay you for five days. And if you want to stay on, you can't, but you have to volunteer. I'm like, yep. Yep, yep, volunteer. Yep, yep. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And he said, "Sure." Yeah, and and I I remember I lied to them that I had a place to stay there because I was so scared that if they had they, if they had to put me up, they would maybe cut you. They would cut me. So I was like, "Oh yeah, no, Seashell, no, you got not the a, micro. Not a problem. <laughs> oh yeah, I have family in Seashell. It's the Brazilian Sunshine Coastanian, the affiliate, <laughs> you know, part of my some family. some old man's house who yeah. maybe went to Brazil once. So I I. Got the job, I got pay- so that paid for for that one week. I es- essentially used all that money to stay in a hostel. I was in a dorm. It had mm-hmm. like two or three bunk beds and a share washroom. That's where I was staying, and I was driving the micro every day to set. So essentially, it was a wash. I didn't care though. I was just so fucking happy yeah. to get. I was like, I'm on a movie set, man. This is it. This Speeding is down it. the Sunshine Coast Highway with this your micro. And then my first, my very first day, so they were shooting, the main location was this beautiful house. And he had to take this uh, dirt road off of the main highway to get there. It was a long road. So I'm, I'm going to set, report at this spot at this time, blah, blah. I'm driving to set. And then this guy meets me. His name was Alan Ross. I work with Alan again many years later. That always happens, right? Always happens. Full circle. So many people from that show. Don't burn your bridges, people. So many people from that show I work with. So I meet Alan and he's like, okay, this is where you're going to be stationed. And literally, I couldn't even see the house. I didn't see set. I didn't see anything other than road and grass That's such a PA story. And he's like- You're like, what am I watching? And he's like, this is is your station. I'm like, okay, like, uh, what am I doing? So, well, so people are going to start showing up. And you're just going to park him on the side of the road here. Do this line, do this and that. Tell him how to get to the house, point him this way, blah, blah, blah. And when you're done, you call me on this walkie-talkie and then we'll give you our next assignment. Like, okay. So people start showing up and I was parking them, you know. Hi, my name is Gabriel, but very shy. And And then um, this pickup truck rolls in, starts slowing down. and And then this guy, he rolls down his window. And then this giant cloud of smoke comes from his car. <laughs> this very, uh, very aromatic smoke. Yeah, from, it's very um, BC. Very BC smoke. Very sunshine Comes coast. out. And then this guy has this beautiful smile. He's like, hey, man, what's your name? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, like I, I'm, I'm Gabriel. Hey, Gabriel. 
nice to meet you, brother. What are you doing here? I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm the PS. Like, yeah, I shook my hands. Like, hey, where do I park? Thank you so much. Hey, I'm Ian. And then I looked at him and I recognized him from film school because we did an assignment that we had to edit an episode of Canadian television. And that was Ian Tracy from Da Vinci's Inquest. Oh, my the, gosh. And he's such a sweetheart. And he was the lead actor in it. No. And he treated me so well. And I, you never forget those I things. I never forgot that. And I, I then work with Ian a few times since. And every time yeah. I remi- reminded him of that experience. And you can't fake great. that. That's You're you like can't. that or you're not. And then I was like, man, it's like this guy's so cool. So down to earth and humble, and that that's you can re- se- you, you can tell a lot about an actor about how they treat the PAs. A hundred percent, right? Hundred percent. Because even like the lowlies on set treat them like shit. Hundred percent. And he taught me too, as you know, as I'm as I'm gonna be hopefully pro- be progressing in this industry. Remind you that you should treat everybody with the same respect. Those it, poor PAs, right? You look, you don't don't oh, look at them the same now. It, it it it's it's tough. You just see those little innocent doe eyes, and you're just like, just make it through, buddy. It's not, it, it's gonna be okay. Hanging in there, <laughs> hanging in there. Uh, but I remember that was my first day, and then I I realized too that the locations department, which is the department that that where the PAs work under, it was essentially it was me. It was like I was the only, I was doing everything. President, a secretary, <laughs> everything. But it was good because the people trial by fire. Me. People was like this this kid he's hustling. People were high fiving me. ADs were like giving me little assignments because you know, and that led. If you're to, hungry and you stick around like that, you can you can move and shake a little bit. And I was hungry, baby. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm still I'm, I'm constantly hu- yeah I'm hungry, and that's just a mindset. My belly is always empty, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, and it was a great experience. It was a great experience. Then, then is amazing for years to come. Those relationships, yeah, exactly. Have, you know, ads that I worked there have given me breaks, or or anyway, it's just it always comes full circle. It does. And it's truly amazing. And if you'd said, "No, nah, I want to make money every day. I'm, I don't want to take this." Boom, it's not my jam, right? And, and PA was very different then too. It was it was a little slower, and this was pre smartphone, so you you got bored a lot. And yeah. You know, but one thing I, I was told by Sandra Mayo, who's an AD here in town, mm-hmm. pretty experienced AD, and she used to teach little courses at the GGC to prep you for PA work and whatnot. As a PA, your tasks are very uh, simple. You're watching a generator, you're, you're uh, sweeping the floor, you're changing this garbage uh, bag, you're doing little things like that, right? So it's not like you have a lot of opportunities to showcase, certainly not to showcase any talent, mm-hmm. but even to showcase your personality and your attitude. You have you have few opportunities to make these one-on-one interactions with, this, with decision makers, with people that Absolutely. potentially could do something for you. Yes. So... Or as Tony said, my husband, he used to switch to the lighting channel on the radio and listen and in. just listen. He would listen for hours because he's like, nothing was going on on my channel. Like, you know, once I'm, you still at the corner, Dirk? Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> Don't let anybody through. Okay. And then he'd switch to the lighting channel. That's brilliant. And he'd listen to them set up a shot and mm-hmm. talk about all he's the He's learning the language, the, sh- the shorthand, right? Yeah. And he's like, that was like free school in my ear, sitting in an alley. And, and you know, right? that's like, that's like ears of film that school radio, in one day. Right? That radio is the whole set. 
that that is the whole set. And you listen to the sort of voice of God, which is your first AD. Like you're listening to every command. You listen. You listening to the level of stress. Is it a calm set? Is it a stressful set? Yeah. You can tell a lot, being yes. miles away, just by the tone that the information comes through a walkie-talkie. It's, it's the pulse of the set. It really sure. is. That's a really good thing to share with people. Yeah. That radio in your hand. You've I got know. a lot of. And when you're you know, a first AD, that it burns in your hand. I'm. I'm <laughs> <laughs> when I was done my last episode, you have of AD, marks. Yeah, and when I did my last episode of of AD. Ever, I, I, I was tempted to burn the radio. I was like, I never want to wear a radio again. I don't miss the radio. No, but it is, but it is a very important. You're right. It's the heart and beat of the set. And and at one point, you should be carrying a radio. Yes, yes. I'm. Pr- I'm happy that I don't anymore. But it was invaluable that I did carry one for so many years. So, so how were you after that? You know, how did your career kind of go? Your PA, you're moving along. Mm-hmm. It must have like. I don't want to say picked up, but you you kind of climbed. You know, I don't want to belabor the journey too long because we do have a lot still to get yeah, into with not cl- a lot of time. I climbed, you know, PA from here and there, and then I finally got a break uh, uh, on a show. It was the pilot for Criminal Minds. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was called Quantico back then, but it it when they um, was made, when it was made into a series, they changed the name to to Criminal Minds. And they'll often do pilots here, just as an aside, is cheaper. Yes. Right? If it doesn't get picked up, it was a cheaper expenditure. For sure. So the pilot was done here. Uh, they knew that the series, should it get picked up, it was going to be taken to Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, and I was a PA there. And then the TAD, which stands for Trainee Assistant Director, got sick. And so the ADs were looking for somebody to fill in for like a couple of days. And the second AD of that show, Josie Kapkin, was the one of the ads of my very first show, Desolation Center? Ah. So she knew me not a whole lot, but you know, it's that sort of familiar face. Sometimes that's all it takes, you know. And and again, it's those one on one interactions. It's meaning if somebody's coming to this door and I'm guarding this door, I'm going to open the door for them and I'm going to smile and I'm going to say hi. Yeah. That's what it. If somebody's gonna, if I'm at Crew Park for ten hours a day, I'm going to be resting, of course. But if I hear like you're like a little. Cheetah on alert for prey. Like if I hear a, the gravel sound car coming in, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say hi. Yeah. And I'm going to show some enthusiasm about being in a movie set. Anyway, Absolutely. she remembered me. She gave me a break. Come in, fill for two days. So that was my first time being an assistant director. Did you have any clue what that was? I mean, you would have from being around a, it. but A little bit from listening to the radio and trying to pick up on things by being proactive. But not the ins and outs. But I, I tried really hard, and I did well to the point that when the former trainee got better, they say, don't come back. Gabe Whoa. is doing great. I, I felt bad. Don't get sick. That's, that's sick, a bummer. Or, that's or, a sad or, plot or, twist. Or never take time off and replace yourself with somebody better than you. Right? It's a big no-no. Shoot. You don't want them to be shitty either because then they resent you. It's got to be good and just <laughs> barely making it. What a balance. <laughs> I said, it is a balance. So it, what's a tad do? Like, let's tell people. Ta- okay, so a tad. You know, I said earlier mm-hmm. too, people know what a director is more or less. Sure. I would argue they don't necessarily know what that is either. Mm-hmm. But what is an assistant director? What's a fourth, a third, a second? And what's the trainee, which is sort of mm-hmm. the bottom of the rung for that? So the assistant, so the assistant director department, which is run by the first assistant director, the first AD. So the first AD, he or she would be in charge of, number one, setting the schedule for the show. So they would break down the script uh, in prep, in pre-production. They'll break down the script and they will put up a schedule for the movie based on how many shooting days were budget, uh, budgeted for the show, 
what locations availability and constraints they may or may not have, cast availability issues, trying to do the stuff in continuity uh, or chronological order right. per, per the script. So it's a little, it's like a puzzle. So that's one of the main things the first AD uh, do in prep. Right. It, it's doing the schedule, the one line schedule, because when you look at it in 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 these strips, in these one lines, pardon me, you're gonna find the information about what what the scene description is, the scene number, which cast member is in it, is it day, is it night, is it interior, exterior. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and and it's and it's tricky work, and it can make or break the movie. Once you get to to the floor to actually shooting it, so that's what the first city is doing, and then that person's also in prep, running all the meetings, all the departmental meetings. Like you're really the right the, the director has a creative vision, but the first city is really the person spearheading everything, managing so everything is being put together from every other department. More really, the logistics of that world. The logistics of that world. They use sort of gluing and everything together, and then beyond the first, then you have the other assistant directors that that get delegated stuff. So the second assistant director usually will be in charge of the call sheet uh, and will be in charge of dealing with thing, a lot of things, cast-related, booking rehearsals, uh, doing um, travel uh, memos or movement orders or you know a lot of things logistically um, to do with cast and upcoming days. So once you get to the film set, the first AD is very much involved in that moment, in the now, in mm-hmm. this shot, and the next few shots, and getting this one day done. Uh, the second AD is already looking ahead to the next day, maybe the next few days. Right. I, just as an aside on that, that call sheet. You know, everybody jokes, waiting for the call sheet at midnight. Mm-hmm. Where's my fucking call sheet? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work, that call sheet. And it, it is. Let's defend the call sheet. Well, what sure. is holding up the call sheet, Gabe? Well, a lot of things are holding up the call sheet. I did many call sheets. Uh, first off, you need to gather a lot of information throughout the day to do that call sheet. But also, you, there's a there's a time to release the call sheet because some of the things may change depending on, say, what time you wrap that day. You have all these. Right. You have to wait for the day before to end. And you have all these union rules uh, regarding turnaround and and whether or not you're going to complete the scheduled day. So. Am I going to need to change the call sheet? Am I going to need to add a scene or ch- or do a scene order change? And how is that going to affect everybody that's in it and what time they're in it? So you're sweating bullets waiting for the stuff you need for the call sheet because you know, what, 60 to 100 people are at home, mm-hmm. driving home. They want their call sheet. They want, and, and now everybody sort of gets them email, but back then you sort of hand hard copy. Hey, did everybody get a call sheet? That person's <laughs> leaving run paper that truck. You know, like that's what Seriously. you do. You, you paper the trucks. Like nowadays, I don't think anybody gets a call sheet. Like they just look at their Well, phones. and now they're really secure. I see your name gets like watermarked yeah. for leaks and know, stuff, right? Sign your life away to get those call sheets. Yeah. But you had to get them out. And as a second, you're like, you're standing, standing on guard. You know, are things going to change? Do I have to phone a hundred people not and tell them it's a half hour later. It's a half hour earlier. I switched the order. How's that gonna? Yeah. So there's a lot. Know, so there's a lot. Everybody That's just the, understand. You know, maybe maybe you're tired and you want to know what time you're gonna start tomorrow. But you know, that person right in that call sheet. I just think of them like just sweating bullets at their laptop, right? Like, there's a poor second idea out there. Yes. I, trust me, uh, they want their to get their call sheets out as well. It's a very stressful job. And I did read too that. You know, if you're on set and the first AD doesn't look like they're, quote, doing anything, that's because they did a shitload of work prior and they're really good at what they're doing. For sure. Right? It it's not like, to... oh, what an easy job. It's like, no, oh, I God, did. God, it's probably did the so... hardest job. Yeah, exactly. It's so much work. So if you're if you're kind of chill on set, you probably earned it. And it's, it, 
it's a very good quality to be. It's, if you if you can be a chill first AD, you you're you're good. Well, I've heard lots of jokes of many not. Stressful. Yeah, even I used to work in commercial world and advertising, and that this is all I remember from the first AD. Can we move on? <laughs> they didn't give a shit what you shot as long as you could just keep going. <laughs> Keep Please going, tell keep me we can going, move on. keep going. It's like, no, we didn't get everything. Oh, fuck. They were just always wanting to move on. And then just everybody shut the fuck up all oh, the for time. Sure. Silence. Shut up. And can we move on? Yeah. And I was no, like, what is wrong with this person? Up. But I get it now. I get it. The stress is real. <laughs> it, it is really real. Uh, first AD is not for the faint of heart. No. I mean, the interest is not for the faint of heart, but the, but first AD in particular. I mean, I know a lot of second ADs that never want to be first ADs. Like, yeah. no, thank you very well, much. Well, some people get overpromoted. I don't want to talk any specifics, but generally in film, you can easily get in over your head very quickly. Oh, God. Especially now. Now right? it's now it's so busy. It's, Uncanny. A lot of people. Like you've doing, done it once, right? <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been a PA for half a day. I've, how long do I'm a first AD? Like it's awful. It yeah. really is. We're too yeah. busy. I hate to say it. No, it's want, true. I don't mean that in any way to 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 put people out of their jobs or anything like that. Well, but, I, but on the flip side of that is like go learn a little bit. But and, and there's some opportunities to get in the union. The, you the, know. the caliber of some of the people that are moving up, and it's not their fault. I would have done the same if I had a chance to move up right quickly. But I think it is hindering their their ability to 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 be better at their new position. Well, and and on that point too, I've heard people say that it's like their first day on set. They've never been on a set before, and they're on like a big TV show, and they're almost useless to everybody there because they have no clue what being on a set is like. And it's like you know, in the heat of the moment, people have said, "You need to go and volunteer before you come and do this. Sure. You need to go work on the weekends. You should mm-hmm. not be on this TV series right now." Yeah, if you don't have right? if you don't have a a very basic understanding, you know, it also shows that you 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 took no preparation or you had no regard to listen. Um, yeah, I would agree, right? You just roll in and you can yeah. do that right now, but should you? Should you? And the same thing. And now I think PAs are, I hate to say it. I don't want to say, and I say PAs, I'm going to sound like the Grandpa. Don Chair, the Don Chair <laughs> you people. It's not, you're not, it's not, you can't say, but I do find though that there is, because it's easier to get that job, that there's a lot more people that don't have the same jump because, well, if this show doesn't call me back. Somebody else will. I, and if I go and take six months off and go to Mexico and then I come back, that job will be here. Back then, that didn't exist. Yeah. So again, those very rare opportunities to make an impression, you want to make sure you hit that hard. And film hard. is feast or famine, right? We all oh, know it's yes. safe, easy film. Shit can mm-hmm. go sideways overnight with, like, Very with money, with currency, with American and Canadian dollar, and all that kind of stuff. Very quickly. So, you, okay, so let's, I feel like we're just, we could talk for 10 years, you and we, I. Uh, we dangerous, sure. dangerous. But for I sure. want to get into Supernatural, and I want to okay. get into Riverdale. And I, the reason is mm-hmm. because you moved literally through the ranks from, like, what? Yep. Season 2 of Supernatural. Correct. Through to, like, 12. Yes. Good Lord. I know. It's a lifetime. 10 years a on lifetime. a show. Like, what was Supernatural like when you first came on? I kind of wonder about like mm-hmm. being starstruck too, you know? Yep. Like, what, what did, did you have any of that? You know, what did it feel like being on these sets? Because these are starting, these are mm-hmm. big caliber sets sure, now, sure, right? Sure, sure, um, I, I, I wouldn't say that I was starstruck because for no other reason than growing up with the sort of more artsy, for the lack of a better word, right. film school. So, type. some exposure to that. Uh, my idols or stars will be a little more in sort of a fringe cinema. And I wasn't working with those people. Right. 
but I was in awe and struck with the caliber of like that that machine, the apparatus. Like, oh my god, this is a real movie. Said, so look at all this cool shit they yeah. do. So I was in awe of that, but not particularly in awe. Of the people, of per se. Of the people, yeah. per, per se. You know what? I get that mostly from people in film. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it just, you never had it or um, it wears away because they're just humans and you see all the sides of that and you mm-hmm. realize they're just people. I mean, once, right? I, worked, once I worked with, uh, uh, I did Godzilla, I did second unit on Godzilla, and then I worked with Juliette Binoche, I was starstruck. Like, that's that's yes. somebody from those types of, you know, right. movies that I was like, fuck, man, Juliette Binoche. Like, are you kidding me? And I worked with Al Pacino too, which was phenomenal. What would you work on? Uh, 88 Minutes was a terrible, terrible I remember 88 movie. Minutes. Holy shit, was that bad? <laughs> it was terrible. Anyway. Um, but you always learn something. Always learn something. Always, always. Uh, but Supernatural, um, I started there as a trainee assistant director. It was, Little Tad. It was sort of, it turned out to be sort of the, kind of towards the end of my Tad yeah. journey. But I had, Trained for six or seven shows consecutively. Different first ADs, which was very good because then I, I got the experience working for different types of people. And Supernatural season two, it was a popular show, but it wasn't what it is yet. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what was the vibe on it? The vibe was like, listen, we got this good show that has really good cast, and these two boys are really cool people, which they are. They're amazing. Yeah. Uh, and they're also really talented. They have good chemistry. So we're on a good show here. But I, if anybody tells you that they thought no it was going to go 15 years, they're lying to you. No. But there was a sense that we're onto something that's cool, you know, that this is a cool show. Uh, we're hitting good good elements of um, the little throwbacks to like classic rock and the muscle car. Like it was cool. You yeah. know? It was a cool vibe beyond yeah. just being a genre show. It was a genre show that also had cool Stuff, cool under layers going yeah. on. And they had two actors. They weren't just, you know, masculine and and hunky and hot. they actually really good actors yeah. too. So they had this range of being uh, good looking and, and athletic and all those things. But yet they could turn on the emotions like that. And you truly believe that they, they are brothers when you watch yeah. the show. And, and people just want to watch them all the time. They still do. Uh, so that was supernatural for me. It was just like, okay, I'm in this crazy show. It's good. I started as a trainee. It was a very tough show. A lot of nights, a lot of nights, a lot of long hours, a lot of stuff in the rain. Yeah, because people don't think about that. I know there's friends working on Batwoman right now, and oh, oh my god, oh my god, the right. the, the dreaded Friday, right? Like oh. your call to, that call sheet says 5:30 p.m. in oh. the top right. Oh my god! And for people that don't know what that means, that means you're coming home like what seven thirty a.m. Maybe more if it's not going well. If the first day he's not doing their job, brutal. And you're coming home and it's morning. And you again, you could have well, it's Saturday. You're not going to work, but like that, that, screw it's that. Awful. Saturday's gone. It's no, over. gone. It's a write off. It's yeah. a, and supernat- that was supernatural for me, especially in the early years. And from training, I went to. Th- third assistant director, which is mainly you're in charge of the trailers, signing the cast in, signing them out, getting people through hair and makeup and wardrobe, but you're also doing a so you're more touch. You're more in, in touch with the actors at uh, that point, Very right? much. At that point, Wrangling I saw, them. And- I saw Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki. I spent more time with them than I spent with my, my wife. Well, it's true. Like, undoubtedly. They are your family. A hundred percent. You know? And that was the, the first person that they see in the morning, the last person they see when they get in the car. 
But you also do this document called the Daily Production Report. DPR. DPR, baby. <laughs> so, which means you have to stay there till the very end. First in, last out. Life of the third AD. Oh. First in, What about the Jenny Op? Is it a race to who can stay there the longest? The Jenny Op, I think, beats him by <laughs> just like maybe 12 minutes on either end. But it's you and the Jenny Op. Like, you and the Jenny Op are tight. Yeah. You're tight. It's usually an old grumpy guy. His wife doesn't want him to be home anyway. Yeah, yeah, and he's happy Making not to be home. shitloads of money. Oh, God, they're rich, those Dinyops. But they work for it. They work for but it. But they're cash rich. Yes. Uh, contrary to the third AD on the flat 15-hour, <laughs> uh, not rich. No. Um, but I did. I did. I, I was third AD for Supernatural for I don't know, maybe six, seven seasons. A long, long time. So you learned. You earned your chops on there. You learned a lot. Right? A lot. And I, I swear to you, especially in the early seasons where you could go on shoot forever. We did some maybe sixteen, seventeen hour camera days. It oh doesn't. Ha- it doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't. But it did back then. And literally every. Friday will be a Friday. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. I, I, could, I could say with confidence, with yeah. confidence that for maybe four or five seasons, I've never driven home after work where I started on a Friday and then it wasn't full sun out Saturday morning. It's insane. And it you're exhausted and you're driving insane. a vehicle, right? Like Oh my god. It's just it's just crazy. And but, your wife and your wife, I mean, I joked with Tony in his mm-hmm. episode, like you could be a serial killer. No one knows where you are. No, they you just trust you at work. You could have a double life. Yeah, no one has a clue, and and you just you just roll in at seven a.m. You're like, I was I working. It, it's set, awful, you know. It's awful. It, and why does it change? So why did you know? Is that because early on the actors don't mm-hmm. want to push back? They don't have enough mm-hmm. of that power to say, listen, I want a life. I have kids now because obviously they got married, they had children, and mm-hmm. things started shifting mm-hmm. to For accommodate sure. that, right? For sure, I think it is a combination of things. Number one, I think Warner Brothers, who does Supernatural, and they also uh, is the studio that produces Riverdale. As a policy, they have been curbing the hours. Right. So that's one thing. They've that's been, a nice shift in the industry. Yes, they've for- been putting a cap on your on your camera hours. So that's one thing. And then yes, the actors they start pushing back because they have more autonomy as the show gets more successful. They get bigger, You're afraid to do that. They have a saying. Right? They want to have a life too. Yeah. Like you said, some uh, some of them have kids and whatnot. And what and the way in which they do that is that in the early seasons, those two boys are literally in every scene. Yeah. And the way for them to do this little move and push back is is find different characters to have develop different storylines. Right. So we're not in every storyline or every scene, which translates to days off. And then as the assistant director who's scheduling the show, if you're not dealing with your actor's turnaround, meaning that they, they were wrapped on set and the time that they're, uh, sorry, the time they're wrapped on set and the time they're being called into hair and makeup, you have to give them yes. 12 hours of rest. If you don't have to deal with that, that means you can turn the whole crew around in less time so you can keep, so that your call times don't erode as rapidly. Right. Because that's what happens. If you start late Mm -hmm. on a Tuesday, Wednesday's worse, Thursday's worse. You know, you don't even talk about Friday. No, you feel like Like when Tony starts (laughs) at 6 30 in the morning on a Monday, I'm like, we're gonna make it this week. Yeah. It's gonna be okay. No, when you get when you hit that eleven o'clock on a Tuesday, like I'm, you, you know where that's we there's know nowhere that's to heading. go but down. No, no, baby, they ain't coming back from that. <laughs> uh, oh. But I think because of those things, a combination of these factors, I, I think Supernatural. Of course, they do nights, uh, but it has become a much more, you know, uh, manageable schedule. But for a long time, especially on that third AD role, I had some pre-calls or four-hour pre-call for some three-hour prosthetics. Caterers are not even in. Uh, there's a putt-putt generator. 
one yeah. teamster does a little Tim Hortons run. You go in, you put a nectar into makeup, you try to sleep literally on your desk in the eighty room, like on the so on the counter. <laughs> yeah, sleep on the counter without without heat because the Jenny's not on no. yet. Snooze for two hours. Nobody get up. thinks about this part of it. it they just think of the glory tough. of like being with the actors on set. I and, know, I know. You know, you're and 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 in the AD world, you're very close to those actors. You right? are. That's like very the, close for fans. That's sort of the coveted, for sure. you know, connection, right? You very, you very, you, you can nurture some serious relationships with yeah. the cast. Well, a hundred percent. So, how are you feeling at you know Supernatural? You're at, you're in season twelve. Mm-hmm. Like, what what made you want to move on or move forward? Because by then you'd moved up the ranks. I moved really. up the ranks. So Supernatural went all the way from trainee to first AD, right? Good and for I, you, by the way. Like thank that's you. that's impressive. And you know, and I owe a lot to the show and to the people that always, when the those opportunities came up, they decided to upgrade me and not look for somebody from outside of the family. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Um, but it was good. You know, I felt that. You know, I you have a tendency. I think like everybody, once you've been doing a role for for a few years, a long time, and you feel that you master that mm-hmm. role, you start getting bored. Yeah. And and maybe too comfortable. And maybe yeah. some laziness start yeah, kicking in. Yeah, of course. In. It's human nature. It is. And you, you have to self-police and you just go like, okay, come on, don't do that. That's And just, some people are fine with that and that's okay you know, too, right? Yeah, you like sure. stay in the role, it's comfortable. That's fine. You ride 100%. it out. Uh, for me, I know, I know for me, like as soon as I felt that that I could master that job, and by master, I'm not saying that I was the best at it. I'm just saying. But it was a well-oiled machine for you. I'm just, in, my, in my own perception, I learned the job. And, this, and I'm not saying that I was the best of any of those positions. Mm-hmm. But I felt that I knew what they were. And maybe I didn't have anything else to learn other than just become better and better and better and better and do more shows. And how old were you then? Like what? At season 12, let's say. Season 12, I was Early thirties, thirty. And were you a father 30, yet? Thirty-two. Yes, I was. Okay, so yeah. new father. New father, and and I, I don't know how you feel, but I always worried as because I'm a parent too that it would hinder me and make me want to do less. It actually somehow God, is it the opposite. Me to do a lot more. Why is that? I agree with you. Fear. It's fear. I went. Fear of what though? Time running out of time or no? Being broken in an expensive city. I thought when when right, my son, when okay. my son was born. I was just becoming a second AD full time on Supernatural. I, I had done some second. I was becoming a full fledged second AD, and I used to work the full season of Supernatural nine ten months and take two to three months off, which is like hiatus, hiatus, May Juneish sort of. The lovely Gloria's coveted hiatus, and then the maniacs. Just as an aside, go and pick up other freaking work in that time. Th- that's what I started doing. It so for a long time, I was so exhausted. I saved money. It was my wife and I, and I'll just take time off. Yeah. When my son was born, I was like, this is it. It's odd because you think that I wanted to take time off to spend time with them, which trust me, I did. Yeah. But there was a part of it's like, wait a second. If I go broke now, it's not like, oh, the wife and I will cancel the cable and we'll just sell True. a car. Like now I have this baby. I can't. And then I realized that you've been doing Supernatural for a long time. You've been climbing up, but that's sort of your show. And you also didn't know at that point when it was going to end, in you fairness. Never, 12 is... You never know. But getting you never up know. there, right? And you get renewed season to season. Like, you have an understanding that it's probably going to go, but it's not like you can plan through three, four years ahead. No, never. And 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 to that point in hiatus, you don't make money. So you can go on no. unemployment insurance, but somebody said to me the other day, oh, don't you just take paid vacation? I was like, no. No, God, if Tony no. goes on vacation, there's no money coming in. No money coming in. You get in. paid out on your check for it. 
because you're it's like sure. every week but it's up like, to you to manage that right yes. and it's a trap because it can make it a lot a of money rapidly well and, and your check looks good but don't forget your vacations on there yeah right? you, have, you have to account for the for the hiatus that you're not going to work that's right and i didn't but all of a sudden i'm like i gotta work a hiatus because i need other things in my resume other than supernatural so i worked all the time and I was happy that every time I felt stagnant in a position that I felt like I was ready to like just blow my brains out or I felt like I was maybe deteriorating in my skills because now I'm not motivated. And you don't want to be that person that gets too comfortable and becomes lazy and not you're, you're a, a shadow of your former yeah. self. And it's I easy to do break. in film. It's very you, we all see those people. They look a hundred, and they're like forty nine. Very. They're divorced. Easy. I know. It's, it's, maybe substance abuse stuff. Like for sure. you, you can see all kinds of for like sure. collateral damage, and it's in every industry. But I would say film is a dangerous one. It is a dangerous one. So I felt fortunate that every time I was reaching a point of like this is driving me crazy, I'll get an opportunity to move up, an opportunity to move up, an opportunity to move up, and then it's like the Nissan Micra on the, the side Nissan of the road. Nissan Micra, baby. You want to buy this? <laughs> Yes. Yes, I do. Do you take cash? <laughs> um, so when I got, I was in season 12 of Supernatural, everything was going well. And I got a call from a production manager called David McGee, who I had done a YouTube, not a YouTube, I'm sorry, a Netflix uh, show with him based on a YouTube celebrity. Uh, the show was called Haters Back Off. And I work with David and he liked me. So he called me. And he said, are you ready to leave Supernatural yet? This, I think, a year had gone by. Yeah. And he said, okay, you went back to Supernatural like you said you were going to. I let you do another season. <laughs> now I'm coming for you, baby. <laughs> are you ready to to leave? And I'm like, well, maybe. And he said, well, I'm gearing up for Riverdale season two. And I'm interested in bringing you along. And I didn't, Riverdale was beginning, to, starting to become popular, but it wasn't what it is now. No. It felt like a bit of a gamble at the time, leaving the comfort of Supernatural mm-hmm. to go to a different show. But I talked to some people that I trusted, you know, mm-hmm. in in the Supernatural world, and they said, you're crazy not to go there. You have to go. And you, it was a jump. It was, it was, a, it was lateral. a lateral. Okay. Lateral. Uh, they said, you have to go. You have to cut this umbilical cord. You're not going to go anywhere else here. The directing opportunity, mm-hmm. is, it wasn't going to be there for me on Supernatural. And I knew it. And I was fine with it. I understood the reasons why. I wasn't yeah. resentful for it. It was natural. And of course, if I did another five seasons of Supernatural, you only become better as a first AD. You experience different episodes. But but to a point, I've reached. Yeah, you plateau. I plateau at Supernatural. And... Change is good. I think nine years. I don't know if you need to ten. You don't need to make excuses for no, moving on. Change is good, and and so I decided to take that chance. And I told the bosses, I told all the producers, I made a point of telling them all in person and phoning down south, talking to the showrunner and our our American producers that came to town to direct. I waited until they're in town. I told them in person, and they all thanked me a lot for the way that I did it. Classy. They, they, they understood. They wanted me to stay, but they understood. They said, "Listen." We knew this day was going to come, and it's good for you. You should do that. Go yeah. ahead and do that. Yeah. And I did. And God, did that ever pay off? <laughs> I mean, I did. I did. I couldn't count that it was going to be like that. But yeah. But it then it, it started a whole different story that it's been um, just as incredible as my supernatural one. So you. So what was your first day on Riverdale like? What were you doing? You were first AD, or you were first AD? Okay. So I was first AD. It was the beginning of season two. Um. Large ensemble cast. Large. A little different than Supernatural. Large ensemble cast. 
Little tykes. Little tykes. <laughs> and it was part of the reason I took the show. Yeah. Um, I phoned a friend of mine, Rachel Fortier. She's a second AD here in town. She actually, she's first in now, and she's got, she comes to Riverdale to do, she does a lot of our second units now, and she's, awesome. she's fantastic, great. I love ladies in film too. I always love. Oh, there's and there's so many great tough, uh, yeah. especially ADs. I love that. Me too. Uh, and and Rachel's a great person and a great professional, and she had worked on the pilot of Riverdale. So I phoned her and said, hey, Rachel, uh, I'm getting called to Riverdale. I know you didn't do this series, but anything you can tell me, it's like the cast is fantastic. I think you're going to have a great time. And she said, I know you well, and I think you're going to be a great fit. Yeah. And I said, why do you think that? It's like, you know, listen, he's a bunch of young cast, and I think they need somebody that's not super old they can relate to. So yeah, I think you're at that age right. where you, you're young enough you know, you're gonna get them. Your energy, mm-hmm. you you guys gonna mash as far as energy and and all those and style style and all those things. And yet, I think they'll really respect the fact that you're coming from this very successful show from the same network, street cred. You know, and I'm like, fuck, that makes sense. Yeah. And and it clicked. You know, yeah. I I very early on, and and not just the kids. I really very early on the whole cast because yeah. you have that blend of all your. The Stars from the '90s and and the parents and and the kids, and and I just create a strong bond with them. One that is based on me running a tight set. One that was efficient, but also one that it was uh, governed by respect yeah. and positivity, which is tough to do in this business. It's tough to do as a first, you know, and know when to press, but know when not to. Um, well, you're often a peacekeeper, right? You're you're for sure. you're that. Point For person sure. between a lot of different tug of war departments and on personalities you. and yeah. personalities. You imagine a lot of personalities, and 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 sometimes you do need to sort of turn the heat up a little bit. But knowing when to do and what not to do is key, right? Yeah. And and we had I hate to say it, but we had every now and again some directors that would come by that I think looking back weren't necessarily good fit a good fit for the show. Yeah. Um, Everyone feels that, right? It's that not, stresses the setup, it, 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 and it's nothing. I would never question their talent yeah. and the merit of being of being directors in this. But series. it's fit. But it's fit. Yeah. Shows are different and whatnot. And, and it's, there's a cadence to every show, and not everybody fits that cadence. Of right? course. So some directors struggled with with the cadence and and the format and the intricacies of Riverdale. Yeah. And when they were struggling myself and the D, the DP and and the cast and the crew the the the, the sort of creative people of the crew and the first is it's not even considered a creative position but I embrace also knowing my place and when to say something but to also to drop creative nuggets or creative uh problem solving per se something that would suit our production needs to get this fucking thing done on time yes. and on budget but yet without just pointing at my watch and having no regard for the artistic merit of, of a scene or of a day because directors don't respond to that. No. You know what I mean? They, they just, no creatives respond to no, that. No, and so you need. So I think if you really want to become next level first AD, you have to be that person that runs that tight set and has excellent planning and excellent diplomacy and all those things. But you need... But you need to understand creativity so that you can talk to a director at a level they respect you as a filmmaker. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, you know? that's like a lot of creative pursuits. You can have people that are just pushing, pushing paper. Mm-hmm. But I married a creative. I definitely know how to motivate them. <laughs> so I was there. So when these directors were faltering, I was there protecting the kids. Yeah. And protecting the show. And I remember there's one scene where they're really struggling with this director. It was a party scene. And they start like almost like these taking little pot shots at each other verbally across the set. And I, I, I rally all the kids. Like we finished a shot and I put them on the little room, like 15 of them. And I'm like, listen up, guys. I want to murder this director right. as much as you do. But this is our show. This is Riverdale. This person's going to move on. We stay here. And yeah. we can't do that. We have to be better than this. We got to keep it together. We got to push through it. And you got to make this right. So I need you to stay with me. And I'll stay with you. Yeah. And they talked about this day. T- t- still. Today, still. Yeah. So, so I developed this relationship with them that I have your back. Mutual you trust. have mine. This is our show. Yeah. And this not everybody can do that that way. That That's a skill set that will take you far, right? Then that was the beginning of my journey there, right? Yeah. Building those relationships and building a some sort of like leadership persona amongst other people, of course, on set that, you know, we're here. We are Riverdale. We are we are the people that make the show successful and, and, and a happy place to go to work, yeah. which is important. And then... Then they let you direct, Gabe. Yes, they did. <laughs> and I watched last night. I was like, I'm going to watch one because I haven't watched mm-hmm, a lot of Riverdale. Mm-hmm, Admittedly, I'm mm-hmm. an old hag. And it's not the Archie I grew up with. No, That's it's not. for sure. Holy crap. Um, but So I turn on season four, episode one, and I'm yes. like snuggling on the couch. And then I start crying, yeah. Gabe, like 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes in because like Luke Perry was my heartthrob. I know. Growing up, right? I know. I know. And I was like, I didn't know it was this one. Gabe. Um, anyway, it was really like heartfelt. I thought that was a really difficult way to tell that story if you haven't seen it. I mean, we all know what happened with Luke Perry losing mm-hmm. him in March, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's a tough one. And I feel Very like tough. what do, and you have to keep the show must go on, that classic thing, but. Ah, right? It must go on. And there was, it, first off, I was very honored. That was my third episode of Riverdale. To direct. To direct. And the first one that I was directing, knowing that I was going to be their producer director, meaning I'm producing their full time, that I knew that I was directing four episodes this upcoming, this season, current season, season four. And then I knew that I was going to do big episodes, meaning the premiere, the mid season finale, and the finale. So I was already very happy about my journey like a dream come true journey on Riverdale but still but yet feeling this pressure not just the pressure to perform because of the big shows but an inner pressure that wanted to honor this incredible yeah uh gamble that our showrunner put you know he pushed for me to get this role I I had to go through the gauntlet at Warner Brothers. They were questioning the merit of this young director who was a first AD mm-hmm. less than a year ago getting this big role. And I wanted to reward Roberto for his faith faith in me. You know, so it's pressure from both ends. I wanna I don't want it to be the guy that you push for and I did two good episodes, but all of a sudden, oh yeah, he was the two episode kid. And now I really wanna yeah. to to, you know, I'm here to stay. Mm-hmm. I'm here because I have a voice, I'm here because I work hard, but I have something to bring to the table. And and when I found out there was the Luke Perry uh, 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 tribute episode, that even made it, of course, you know, pressure, right? That's a pressure, lot to live pressure, up to. Pressure, but because now you're not only directing a story, you're directing a story in a story. There's yeah. two stories, right? And, and Roberto, um, 
Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, who is our executive producer and the creator of uh, Riverdale, he he put something on Instagram saying, this is perhaps the most important episode of Riverdale history, which I was like, thank you, Roberto. That's no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, before I even went to camera. So I was I was nervous because again, just because I wanted to prove to everybody that you're right, you're right in 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 you know supporting me. You know, your choice was the right choice. Thank you. And did directing? Uh, just to ask you a question while it's with me, does is directing a natural progression from your AD stuff? I know you said no. it doesn't necessarily go into that. Did you have a concern about that, or did you feel pretty comfortable that you could direct? No, I I didn't have a concern. I felt pretty comfortable. I I was worried as you should and nervous as you should because. It was your first time. Right. And you can never know everything, especially directing. So it's always going to be challenging, no matter if it's your first, tenth, and whatnot. So, of course, I was nervous. Of course, I didn't know whether I was going to make a fantastic episode or one that wasn't fantastic. But I knew that I could do the job. I wasn't necessarily worried about the job. I was worried about just being nervous because you're nervous. Yeah, of course. But I felt that I had observed and I had the hunger and the drive that I was going to be able to at least survive it. But transitioning from assistant director to director is not necessarily a, a natural thing. Right. It takes somebody taking that leap of faith and saying, yes, you do have that set experience, which is valuable, but I can see you as a creative person and not just as the logistics person. Well, because often direct, or sorry, actors get to direct. And I always wonder about that. Like, yeah. is that just a, a treat because they're number one? Or is that, you know, they, there's... It could be right? a treat. And the same happened with ADs. It is, is, it is not uncommon that ADs get an opportunity to direct in the, epi- in the shows that they AD. And it's also, it's part of a, a reward for being a, a good first AD. And if they have directing aspirations, they'll ask for an episode. Right. And often they'll be given because they're talented and they work hard and they want to, you want to keep them around. So that's not uncommon, but I think it's not as common as you think that from those episodes, those first ADs would then become just full-time directors. Right. It should happen more often. Unfortunately, it doesn't. And I think there's a lot of very talented first ADs out there that are directing, but not necessarily were able to do a full-time right. transition. You know? Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I, that episode was lovely. I just kudos to you. That was Thank a heavy you. one to handle, and very you know, and and when I was filming, the cast they told me all the time that they were very happy that I was the one doing it. Yeah, because they couldn't imagine anybody being there with them when something that personal, yeah, absolutely, for all of us was happening, and that was very flattering and touching for me. And yeah. I took that, you know, I thought, well, that's really nice. What more can you ask for? You, right? That's their trust, and like they're trusting you in their most vulnerable, emotional episode that they've done, and and mm-hmm. all I try to do is to service the story well, pay homage to a brilliant human being, an artist that was Luke, and be cautious and sensitive enough to provide a, to, so I could provide an environment that the cast could come in and go through this difficult time. You know, mm-hmm. it was nurturing a very gentle, loving environment. That's what was in my mind every day when I was doing that one episode. And well, you it, can't it ask for a better, you can't ask for anything more from a director. Like that's, no. that's uh, like that, that's all there is, you know? And, and at that point, I was just like, listen, I don't know. I mean, hopefully I'll have a great career, but if something happens right now, they can't take that away from me. My name is going to be on that episode forever. And yes. that's a very, it's, it's very cool. 
We didn't even get to the indie stuff, you know. There's, I could talk to you for 10 years. And, and you joked you're Brazilian, so you just you, we could do a 10-hour podcast marathon if we needed to. We'll do part two. <laughs> we will do part two. You'll be too busy. You'll never, <laughs> we'll have to wait till next Thanksgiving. You'll never have time for me after this. Thank you so much for coming for and sharing your me. knowledge. I'm so grateful that you're here. Like I said, truly, you're, you're a busy guy. You're a big deal. And I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's Thank you, Gabe. If you want to learn more about my podcast, you can go to vantropolispodcast.com or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also leave me a review on iTunes, subscribe, or share it with someone you love. Or don't love. Just share it.